Well, welcome once again to the official Scottish Rugby Podcast. This week we're joined by Ollie Smith, um, a young player who's performing really well for Glasgow Warriors as we uh, reach the business end of the season. Some massive fixtures coming up. We'll talk to Ollie uh, about his form uh, and how much he's enjoying being a Warrior. Uh, we're going to hear from an initiative between uh, Scottish Rugby and Police Scotland uh, as well a little bit later on, a really important message coming up there. But uh, before that, Rach, it's good to have you back. Um <laughs> bruised and battered after a, a long campaign but um, listen, we, we won't dwell on it but a really tough result on, on Saturday night almost a carbon copy of the game against Ireland or the, the opposite of the game yeah. last time you played um, but a, a tough campaign um, we'll learn as much in that than, than other campaigns um, but firstly how's the body how's the are you, are you back in the the working world in one piece. Yeah, yeah, body's okay actually. Uh, held up pretty well considering uh, the, I guess, the physicality of all five of the games we played. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, body's okay. Back in at club this week, we've got. Um, Are you playing this weekend? Yeah, playing this weekend against Worcester away, which has got quite a strong Scottish contingent yeah, as well. A few friend, so friendly be, faces. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a, bit of a weird one. Uh, but yeah, no, all good. Uh, a little battered emotionally and, and mentally, but. Um, we've got big things to come and, and we're fully aware of the bigger picture and, and all of that as well. So we just got to focus on October and, and getting better um, over the summer and just putting all our energy into that. Yeah, no, the um, yeah, the, the end was just kind of heartbreaking almost, wasn't it? Because there was a defensive set just before the defensive set that was must have been four minutes, three or four minutes in the red time. And the defensive set prior to that was excellent, wasn't it? And eventually got a turnover and then had to face another three or four minutes and Credit because due Ireland kept the ball in miserable conditions under a pretty decent defence and and just managed to get over. But it's yeah, uh, yeah a tough one to take. Yeah, yeah like a hundred percent. Like I said after the game, like defending in that area of your pitch for that length of time is is more about your mindset and and I guess than anything technical. You know, it, it's a horrible place to defend and it's it's super tough. And I can't like fault a single player's application in in that period of time where we were literally camped on our trial line for you know, the last kind of eighth of that match, more or less. And mm. I think, you know, we showed a huge amount of heart and we showed a huge amount about what we're about. And in those conditions, you know, you want to have the ball in that situation because you are eventually going to find a crack. And, and that's what it was. And um, it is heartbreaking. But at the end of the day, we've got to look at the bigger picture. And, you know, we're fortunate we were on the right end of the result when it really counted. Mm. Uh, it was kind of I guess a little bit of our message after after the game, and we've fortunately got something really exciting to look forward to in October, and and to improve to make sure we're not on the wrong side of those results. Because you know we've got three losing bonus points and in, in three away games this this six nations, which kind of just shows how close we've been to winning three away games, which we've never been in a mm-hmm. position to do before. So if you take yourself out of the emotion of it in in the moment and actually look at what we could have achieved and how close we were to achieving that, it, it's super exciting and. Um, I guess like at the moment it's just about taking some time away and, and recovering mentally more than anything so that we can come in hungry and, and fresh you know we've had a pretty much like a two and a half year season without a break so um we're definitely due one um and I think that will do us the world a good coming in to, to prep towards the world cup Delighted to see you're joined now by uh, Ollie Smith we've just had an introduction Ollie just talking you up about your, your performances it's uh it's brilliant to have you with us, uh, and I suppose just we'll start with just saying how much are you enjoying being a, an integral part of Glasgow Warriors? Obviously, came through the system and an age-gated academy, and 
but now fully fledged warrior and performing so well. How, how does it feel to be to be taking the field? Yeah, no, I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, obviously, got a little taste of it last year. Um, I played a couple of games at the back end of the season, then picked up an injury and sort of struggled to kind of get back into the side. Uh, and then a bit of luck, sort of January time, and just managed to keep keep getting a run of games and they're yeah, absolutely loving it. You say a bit of luck, but a couple of tries against top French opposition helped as well. How hard is that, though? I mean, I know how hard you've worked to to get involved initially. See, I think it was last January, uh, was it against Edinburgh, I think, the first, yeah, first yeah. game. And a couple, you know, and you reach that target and then you're injured and you have to kind of almost reset. Does it does it make it harder because you know what it feels like and you know what you have to, how the levels you have to get to? Or yeah. does that window give you an opportunity to, to really focus on what you have to do and get back in and, and make a statement like you have? Yeah, it was kind of a mixed bag. I mean, I sort of knew I wasn't going to be playing when I came back from injury and then there was obviously the off-season and then kind of coming back into pre-season, I kind of had a sniff, maybe a couple of games off the bench, um, but wasn't really like like in it. Um, <clears throat> so and obviously there was no other rugby being played sort of at Super 6 or whatever, which had been, obviously there'd been the previous year before. Um, so I knew that I had to just sort of stick in at training and just hope that something would come along the line. And then just knowing when the opportunity came, just sort of staying calm and uh, almost just having belief in myself really that I could, play my own game sort of under no pressure and just kind of do what I, I know I can do. I read somewhere about kind of you talking about how your games kind of, I guess, changed a little bit over, um, over I guess, just over a year that you, you've been at Warriors. How do you, I guess, how do you find ways to kind of still improve as a player despite potentially having kind of a frustrating run in terms of game time and, and maybe not getting as much time as you want, but still being able to, because you've kind of bided your time really well and then come into a great bit of form um, since January this year and I guess my question is like as a as a player in those kind of frustrating position times how do you still continue to improve? Uh, I think I've just kind of stuck to my own processes I've found a sort of uh, like I said I've found something that works for me um, in terms of game prep uh, stuff that I can do in the game and just staying calm knowing that I have the ability to do sit in my position obviously running kick in the backfield or work my defence and um, sort of more confidence in myself to speak up uh, in that backfield and sort of ordering boys around um, and just not getting too caught up maybe in the previous years when certainly when I made my debut and then sort of had some starts uh, I used to get a bit too nervous about making a mistake and it would kind of it's that classic you just let it linger in your mind and you almost try and fix it but knowing that maybe something doesn't go my way, then I know I'll have another shot in a game or almost making that myself. Um, and that's just really worked for me, especially coming back from, obviously, got an ankle injury just at the end of the Six Nations against Scarlet. So I've had six or seven weeks off to then roll back into a couple of games in South Africa. Uh, I just knew that I could do exactly what I did before that. Uh, then I would keep bouncing on and keep the game go, keep the game time coming along. So. Is that something that you have to do in training every day, especially as you were saying, like um, you know, big involvement in Super Six last year, but it wasn't you know it wasn't up and running in this period where you were injured uh, recently, and so like and you can't get you say it's really difficult if there's no game time to play. So is that a kind of process you do at training as well? Because there'll be there'll be bigger training sessions and kind of and less intense training sessions. So can you can you practice that Monday to Friday as well? That puts you in a good frame of mind. So when you are asked, you do deliver. Yeah, I think when when the you're not playing and the training days come around. Um, there's almost 
now, especially at Glasgow, there's an onus on, do you say, the bibs, like the non-23 guys, to put the starting team under pressure. And you almost take a bit of um, a bit of confidence in putting them under pressure and making them make mistakes. And because um, you're you're obviously at the end of the day, you're fighting for their position. I mean, you're all mates off the pitch, but then at training, there's got to be that little edge to it, and that obviously helps them to prepare for the weekend. Um, so you're obviously not going like full hundy trying to injure boys, but you, like, <laughs> some yeah. bibs do. And by yeah. the way, call them calling them the bibs the most polite non twenty three <laughs> reference I've had. They used to be called worse than that when I was involved in them. Yeah, yeah. But you're um, right though. It's 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 especially at Glasgow. There's a competitive spirit, and that that's well every game really. I, I'm not sure I've won a team run against a bibs. I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Well, I think especially at Glasgow now we've got this like um, we've got obviously the. The injury list we've got going now, it just shows you the depth that we've got in the squad and there's still loads of boys still fighting for positions and like chomping at the bit to try and get game time. So yeah, training can get a bit heated sometimes. <laughs> um, and then tell us a little bit about obviously your experience out in South Africa. Uh, two pretty tough games, um, but two good games for you on a, an individual kind of level, I guess. But tell us a wee bit about that in terms of where the squad's at and, and how you're feeling going into the next couple of games. Yeah, I think... Uh, we always knew that South Africa was going to be difficult in terms of the South African teams, the size that they bring. And you can say the altitude. I don't know if that's probably not an excuse, really, the altitude. Um, we It feels like we've let points get away from us. Um, the Stormers game, obviously, I don't we don't feel like the scoreline reflected the way we played. There was just maybe a 15, 20-minute blip where they've capitalised on our errors. And like South African teams do, you cough them up and they're going to uh, score points. So we've they were sharp. They were sharp as well, though. Uh, I, mean, I agree. You guys could have been better, but they. I thought the Stormers were. They were, they were sharp. Eh? The back line was like yeah. on fire all all game. Uh, mm. So they, they were difficult to deal with. Um, but then the Bulls. It's another one that we've let get away from us. We should have. We feel like we should have come away, at least with a point. Um, obviously, that disallowed try at the end. It's a bit. It's a bit annoying. Um, but like you can't shy away. We've got no points from South Africa, so we and we've got one more game, mm-hmm. albeit quarterfinals is guaranteed um, who we're playing is not guaranteed and it's a big game against Edinburgh um, so I mean we're all looking forward to that we've still got Europe um, we've spoken a lot this week about no Scottish teams ever won a European trophy and mm-hmm. like why can't we be the first um, we have a good squad and I've said previously like the squad doesn't deserve to be going down the way we're going uh, we know we can just fix our issues and we can beat any team on our day um, we've shown it this season and beating teams like Munster and beating Connacht comfortably away, um, like we're a good squad and we deserve to have something at least from this season. So, no, you're right. I mean, I, I thought that the two games in South Africa were like as close to test matches as I think you can get club wise. Yeah. It was it was certainly on a on a par with like a big. It looked to me like a big Heineken Cup game or a European Cup game where it's like it is another level up. And and I'd say I thought the Stormers were sharp. But I yeah. thought the Bulls were just totally relentless, like just, just almost. But even if it's a wrong thing, if they do the wrong thing, they just keep doing it and doing it and doing it with yeah. so much power that it's hard. And I'm like, yeah, understandably, you guys just kind of eventually kind of broke a wee bit. But to come back in your try and then a the disallowed try that was that would have been yours as well. It was a forward pass, but the, the try you scored was excellent in terms of hitting the line and just taking it to them. So we'll kind of hope for more of that this week. You mentioned this week and into Europe knockout. It's Leon who. Uh, Got a top side of fifth in the top fourteen. I think sandwich between Ras and ninety two and Toulouse, so they're um, they're no bad. Uh, yeah. Glasgow have a decent record against them, but what, what's the focus? Again, it's another way trip two away. 
yeah. games back to back South Africa, home for a few days, yeah. out to France. What, what's the focus for, for this big one? I think it's, I mean, the French teams are almost similar to the South African teams in terms of size. They've got big players all over the park, big pack. Um, they've also got guys like Sopawang and Tuisova in the back line. Um, so, I mean, we're just focusing on ourselves this week. Uh, if we, we'd spoken about it, obviously, if we stick to our processes, um, take those almost because teams will go through the purple patches, the momentum swings all the way through the game. So, if we can just deal with their purple patch, we'll find ourselves again if we just stick to our process um, and we can just get a result that we need. And, like I say, why why can't we beat Leon away? Like, it's a good track, it's an astroturf pitch, like, we're used to that. Um, and we just want to keep the tempo high, kind of stress out these French teams. They let you play a bit as well, though, don't you? Like, I mean, with the attacking mentality they have. Yeah, I mean, it'll be the... You as well. Yeah, the sort of balance between control and chaos we speak about. Um, so we're playing a fast brand of rugby, but it's under control. It's not like loose offloads like the French teams play, because then you, you play into their hands and almost it's good for them rather than good for us. Any key learnings that you've taken from playing two big South African teams to take into playing a big French team? Um front up physicality is obviously <laughs> um, but I think just being more uh, clinical when we get into their half we need to It's there's so many times where we've maybe won a penalty around the halfway line get into a good position for a line out and maybe the line out goes poorly or we cough up the ball and finish zone like drop balls um, or not clearing the contact area um, contact area has been a big work on us for this for us this week um, it's always fun yeah, yeah. Luckily, I don't have to deal with many of them. Keep out of there, Ollie. Keep out of there, Ollie. You have to, you have to choose your, you have to choose your groups wisely when it comes to that, yeah, isn't it? Like contact, do. right? You get a couple of similar sized <laughs> individuals alongside you. Yeah, pick up the nines, and... <laughs> and the nines can be awfully angry, though. I always find the nines could be angry. Yeah, yeah. It could be a bit dangerous if you yeah. choose a choose George, a nine. George. George. Yeah, <laughs> you're right though. I mean, you, like, I think you get opportunities against French teams. You do, and you got to take them. The other thing is, if you don't take them, how you react to that mistake is really, really important, yeah. especially when you're under pressure. I know that's one thing that, that you guys are working pretty hard on. And um, in Glasgow, obviously, you don't want to commit a mistake, but errors will happen. So it's that that belief and reaction to the error that becomes really important, especially away from home as well, doesn't it? Well, I mean, we spoke like if you look at the Bulls game we scored within the first sort of five minutes uh, and we get the, the kickoff receipt wrong give them a line out give away a penalty then they're another line out pick and go as they score so mm -hmm. it's seven all sort of two minutes later and that just completely deflates you because you, you're on a high after scoring and then when you're defending your own line within a minute you're kind of like you just don't really know what you're doing and it, you start to kind of nitpick each other it gets a bit um, sort of the blame game but uh Again, like I say, if we just stick to our process, then like we know we can deal with it, and you just have to get these exits right. So we speak about once we score a try, it's not seven points until you've exited properly, because um, you just let them straight back into the game after a good spell of play. So. It's never easy. The, the the big games keep coming. We don't want to jump too far ahead of ourselves, but there's a obviously a quarter final in Leon, and there's a potential semi final that could be actually a damn hell, couldn't it? Head to head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, another, and then the week after that is a fixture between Edward 1872 Cup so that's another one to look forward to but um, loads of big games coming up in terms of, of you and the kind of touch of the 
uh, the experiences in the national squad through training in the Six Nations and then there's a summer tour. It must be a, a, an individual goal, I assume, to try and get some some involvement at in, in, in a national level. Yeah, um, I think like everyone obviously has their long-term goals um, and that's always sort of the the goal to try and play for Scotland. Um, when that comes, I don't know. I'm, I tend to work short-term, just sort mm-hmm. of uh, little goals at a time. And I think for the rest of the season, <clears throat> it depends on us on how many games we have left because yeah. we have three guaranteed games, but we could play seven if we get to both finals. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it all depends on us. I'm just going to focus on my own game week to week. And then if that leads into the summer, then fingers crossed. But obviously that's not in my hands at the moment. It's an awesome competition at Glasgow as well. Like yeah. in the back yeah. three, is it one or two injuries? But like say the Seb's injured, but like Josh Mackay, it must be really good to learn from similar players in, in terms of the way you play, but he's arguably got more experience. So picking his brains will be important as well, won't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Josh has been brilliant since he's come across. Um obviously with him in the wing now. Um, and Cole obviously experienced at fullback as well. Yeah, came back together, yeah. Just chop and change, and like, there's no harm in say me being in the front line and one of those two being in the backfield. It's not, it doesn't have to be, say like the winger up or whatever. It's um, we all kind of complement each other, and like you say, nitpicking their brain, they're perfect. If if something goes wrong, then we can just talk about it and just go through it. We're all on the same page, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I say big games, but there's a, there's other big games. Have you been watching? The Fozok Super Six. I mean, keeping close. You have obviously a lot yeah, of needs still involved. I've watched, watched some of the boys. Yeah, I've been watching mostly the highlights because we play it some of the same time. Yeah. Air boys. I watched the Airborne Muir game actually. I watched that back. Yeah. Oh, the first one. Oh, yeah. I did, yeah. And um, I mean, you played in it last year. Yeah. The competition. How in terms of kind of how it prepares you for for the step up, but um, it's uh, it's going well again this this year. Yeah, yeah. I think the summer rugby is almost. I know maybe the. the Weather at the weekend wasn't really summer rugby. Well, the air game at the weekend wasn't summer rugby. I watched that, yeah. Um, (laughs) I think that's much better for the game because our games, we played Sterling at Sterling and it's probably the most difficult conditions I've ever played in in my life. (laughs) Um, I don't even think I shook anyone's hand after the game, just went straight into the show. (laughs) Oh, you'll get a bad name for doing that. I don't think anyone shook anyone's hand. But no, that's obviously, it's good to have that back um, because obviously boys who, like, me included, not getting games here. It's mm-hmm. it's so good to be able to go back to go go train at the Bulls and get some good game time. Um, and it's a good group at the Super Six Clubs. Um, I know a lot of boys who are playing it and they're absolutely loving it. Always good to touch base with the, the young players coming up, and he's been impressive. He's got a knack of scoring tries as well, but defensively, defensively, he's been he's been really good of late as well, and. Is uh, I mean, Glasgow haven't really been uh, hitting their straps in terms of momentum and, and and how good they can they can be. But he he's a player who's who's doing really well. And if you're working, and it's good to hear him saying he's working alongside Cole Forbes and, and Josh McKay in that back three because you know certainly good players themselves. Josh McKay quality fullback as well, but but always holding down the space. And you can see how um how how much he's enjoying it and and, and how well he's doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, you forget someone like that's only 21. Um, you know, the way he speaks about his rugby and, and his approach to everything and, and how he's trying to improve and, and learn from others around him um, shows kind of a, a maturity beyond his years. But no, he's been he's been brilliant, particularly this last couple of games for, for Glasgow. And I'm sure he's got a big future, not only in this season, but beyond it as well. Edinburgh were also in action at the weekend, actually. 
playing against Ulster while as women were playing on on their pitch. On their pitch. Did you, <laughs> did you catch that one? I did. Yeah, I was at the game. It was a it was a proper tussle, like a sold out damn hell first yeah. ever sellout, and it was completely engaging. The weather wasn't great. It was uh, it was wet. It got windy. It was miserable, but like. Edinburgh were always chasing the game, unfortunately. Yeah. Like Ulster's defence, both defences were excellent, really, in all honesty. Um, Ulster's real hard press, um, you know, dictated the game to a certain extent, but Edinburgh actually created probably three or four opportunities, and that'll be the frustrating thing. Didn't take them one immediately from the kickoff. Brilliant break yeah. from James Lang, who then ended up getting injured. Um, Blue King Horn, just maybe five or six minutes later from a, a scrum attack, again, just searing pace. And one or two in the second half towards the end of the first half, they didn't really take, yeah. and then it became just a just a really physical defence orientated game. Um, kind of suits Ulster that as well. Yeah, it did. It did. It, it was it was stereotypically Ulster, and they kicked a couple yeah. of well, scored a try, kicked a couple of penalties, but then I think it was sixty. It got up to maybe sixteen three, and that's a kind of point in the game where you're thinking, well, it's a big ask for Edinburgh now. That's almost the game, but it wasn't. They dug in. Physicality was through the roof. The Matt Bennett's try was brilliant, a chip and regather. Chip space yeah. was there quite often, actually, against Ulster, I thought, because the defence was just so aggressive and so fast. Um, and then Edinburgh got the, the wind in their sails, the crowd were on it, and the last kind of 10 minutes of the game must have been spent in the five-metre line of Ulster. Yeah. Similar, similar to the, kind of, the end of your game, but... Um, the other way around. <laughs> but Edinburgh were so close. Like It was funny, because you were saying at the time, right, is this... Like incredible defence from Ulster, or are Edinburgh just being a wee bit too conservative? Yeah, and I think it's a bit of both. But you couldn't you couldn't criticise Edinburgh for being conservative because it wasn't it wasn't only inside the five metre; it was a metre. It was a metre off the line. Yeah. Uh, so the risk of can he go and shift the point of contact too far? Yeah. I think if it had been seven or eight metres out, we would have, as we've seen from Edinburgh all season, we've seen a kind of shift the point of contact and really mm-hmm. stressed. But it was. Honestly, it must have been on that line for about six or seven minutes, and somehow Ulster held out. But Edinburgh did get a losing bonus point, which is important. So um, disappointing for their first defeat at home, um, but it, not a bad start that though. Yeah, uh, as fine a margin as you'll get in terms of the game. But they obviously have to pick themselves up. Play Wasps this weekend, um, Saturday afternoon, Saturday lunchtime, I think. Yeah. Um, their quarter-final Wasps are—they've hit a bit of form after a poor start, haven't they? But they'll be coming fully loaded. Yeah, I think, you know, their first half of the season was one of the most injury played out of, of any of the teams in the Premiership. So now they've got a few kind of key players and, and leaders back into their squad. Um, I think it'll be a, be a pretty tough run out. But mm. I think, you know, if Edinburgh play the way that we've seen them play when they're when they're on their day, then they'll definitely have a good shot against them. Yeah, there's some of those players like Joe Launchbury, isn't it? Or yeah. Alfie Barbary and Jack Willis and these guys, they're all coming back in. Um, but yeah, it should be a... It, it, it certainly be a, a, a good team game, game. yeah. yeah. And, and Edinburgh, you know, even read this week quite right that they're going to stick to the principles of how they play, even although it was their first defeat of the season at home. They, they, they'll um, they'll play and they'll look to attack and we just hope for a, a better well than it was on Friday night or Saturday night. But we wish them wish them all well. I'm delighted now to be joined by two special guests uh, and some context around this, this conversation and say that Scottish Rugby are working alongside Police Scotland to support the, the Male Allies for Women's Safety campaign, a vitally important campaign. Um, and I suppose the first question for you, Adrian, Adrian Serra from Police Scotland and Gillian Jones-Royams, who's 
from Emerge Development Consultancy, both heavily involved in the implementation, and the design, and the, the importance of the campaign. But I suppose, Adrian, to start, what's the main focus and, and I suppose the main aim of this vitally important campaign? Um, thanks, Chris. Um, the, I think the, the, the core purpose is to really, um, you know, a much overused word, but, but basically empower guys to recognize that they can actually do something about sexual violence. Um, sexual violence really is a, is a men's problem. Um, it's almost, you know, the, the vast majority of it's committed by men. And it's very difficult, I think, for a lot of guys to, to know how they can make a difference in terms of challenging it. Um, the, so what, we're, what we've been doing is, is talking to, to players, um, you know, talking to young men and starting a conversation about the scale of the problem. Um, uh, the fact that the problem has been with us for for you know a very very long time, but actually it's in men's power to do something about it. Um, the the ultimately, um, you know, we live in a culture where um, uh, women are disrespected, um, where um, women are abused. Um, now, not all men do that, but men participate in in the prevailing culture which objectifies women um, and uh, you know the the demands women's attention um, the and actually we as men can set an example um, both to our our friends and our relatives um, but also you know particularly if if you're in the world of rugby um, to to the you know a, a much wider group of people about how to behave, but also the points where you can actually intervene. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean to say putting yourself in danger in a, in a difficult situation, but it, it probably more means at the right time, taking a moment to have a conversation with a, with a friend, a peer, and, and just saying, you know, I, I'm not sure that that's, you know, that behavior, or that kind of talk is is the right way to behave around women and you know yeah i've probably done the same in, in the past but the um i've come to realize that actually it's 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 not good um and you know there's a better way to to do things that that is beneficial to all the women in our lives we've all got sisters we've got you know uh female relatives um uh you know we 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 know women and you know this kind of stuff is affecting women every day uh, and we can do something about it. And, and um, Jillian, it's so important, some of the things that Adrian are jumping out, it, it already seems as if there's a team ethos to this, a self-governance day, it's very similar to a, a sporting environment. So is that one of the reasons why it's really important to work with the Scottish rugby? The other thing Adrian said was about role modelling and yeah. why, why is this you know, partnership formed between between the campaign and Scottish rugby, how important is it for each other? It's a great question, Chris, because, you know, the battle is so huge, as Adrian was lying out there. And certainly since the death of Sarah Everard, what happened was women started to say, you know, stop telling us how to keep ourselves safe. Mm -hmm. Please start educating men on how to not do this and also how to help 
women to not be in that situation. And so when we get the opportunity to work with something like Scottish Rugby, um, who have the reach, who are role models to people, um, who can you know, send a really strong message, it would be fantastic for me to think that instead of women walking along the street at night feeling frightened and threatened, that if they saw some rugby players who may be quite big guys going around, they could think, actually, I feel safe because I know that they're supportive of this and that they're sending out the right messages because there's so many young impressionable boys. One of the things we've talked about during this campaign is the amount of use of porn from young boys between the age of 12 and 18. And, you know, are we perhaps generating a whole new um, generation of young people who don't know how to treat women? So young men in rugby and of any age of rugby can send a very strong message. And on that point, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, but is the problem, and we've mentioned the scale of the problem, we'll ask Adrian about the, you know, some statistics around the scale of the problem, but you mentioned yourself, Jill, and it's just the battle's huge. Yeah. Do you think it's easier to educate and inform the kind of younger generation or the male public or the older generation? Is, is it possible? To, is, there a, is there a difference between the... The two generations almost, or is it the, the, the problem obviously covers both, but is there a, yeah. is there a sharp end? I mean, it's, it's always nice to think that you could get in before habits feel like that, because a lot of men who come on the workshop are quite staggered by what they realise that women go through on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And, and they've lived with that for maybe 30, 40 years. A lot of men have said they've gone away from the workshop and spoken to their wives and sisters and said, you know, just heard this. And their wives and sisters said, oh, yes, I have to do this. I can't go running with a ponytail. I can't do this. I can't do that. And they've never, ever thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one of the senior men who was watching workshops when I was up at Murrayfield afterwards saying, I wondered what you were talking about when you said that women won't take their car out if they're going out for a night. Why would they not do that? And obviously it's because if we don't know where we're going to park, mm-hmm. we feel in danger. Mm-hmm. So the, one of the first steps, I think, is for men to really understand what it feels like to live our lives and how and when they can support But yes, if at the same time as educating men who perhaps didn't realise this, we could get to younger people, that would be the ideal. Yeah, so there's there's an education and a messaging element to both. And and we'll we'll, we'll touch on that with with the work you've already been doing in the the professional teams and the academies at both Edinburgh and Glasgow. But just on that point, Adrian, the scale of the problem, I know there's some statistics you've shown the players and shown the the staff, but it it is is huge, isn't it? uh, yeah, and, and certainly, obviously, you know, working from Scotland, we're looking at the statistics all the time. Um, I think the the it's kind of it's kind of like the ripples, you know, when a drop of water goes uh, goes into a pond. Um, kind of at the centre of it um, is the around about two thousand um, rapes are reported uh, every year. Now, other research suggests that that that's probably only about ten or twenty percent. Of the whole picture, so we're looking at a, a, a very large number of very serious sexual assaults. Then beyond that is sexual assault that, that wouldn't be classed as rape, and then beyond that is is um, sexual harassment, um, uh, and then beyond that is is 
uh, the kind of situations that, that Gillian's talking about and, and some of the research that we did as part of the That Guy uh, campaign, where basically talk to any woman who is breathing and they will say, yes, I have experienced um, unwanted behavior from men, um, you know, right across the spectrum from um, men basically chatting you up, you know, in a situation where you do not want to be chatted up and you, it appears that you have no consent um, in that scenario that you're getting chatted up whether you want to or not, and men will take no for an answer. Um, right through to the, the very serious end of, of, of sexual violence. So I think the, I think it's one of, uh, something that, that uh, you know, somebody more cynical than me might say is that although a lot of men respond on social media to discussions about sexual violence in terms of saying not all men, and it isn't all men, at the same time, it's an awful lot of men, um, you know, and, and we, we have to be really careful not to minimize the scale of the problem. It is a huge problem um, and it's completely endemic within society in terms of the, the, the way women are represented uh, in the media, the way that we consume media in terms of representations of, of women on film, um, the, the, the expectation that, that a woman's role is to look good um, uh, for, for male benefit. Um, and you know if they don't, then you know somehow they'll let the side down, all the way through to you know kind of behaviours in the workplace and and you know out in the street and, and, and stuff like that. So it's it's a massive problem. But the 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 don't be that guy video is pretty hard hit, and I'm sure I mean you have stats and numbers and number of views it's had, but it is really yeah. hard hit. And, and the one thing Julian as well is it, you know Adrian said it's not all men. And that's an important point as well to, to get it's, across. It's, it's a really important point. And, you know, ironically, when we run workshops, we often feel like we're talking to the wrong people. Mm -hmm. But basically what, what we're saying, and I, I would use this in a diagram, if you can imagine a pyramid, and at the bottom of the pyramid, we have kind, thoughtful men who, you know, would be respectful of women, like... Mm -hmm the men on this call, the men in the workshops. And then above that, you might have the men who would turn a blind eye. Mm -hmm. And above that, the men who would collude. And then above that, the men who would think it's okay to objectify and send around pornographic images. And above that, those who think it's all right to grope. And then above that, those who think it's all right to abuse. And then the rapists, very small proportion at the top. But we need to dismantle that pyramid. Mm -hmm. And we can't do it alone. So we need to do it from the bottom. And that's why if each and every man started to think about how can I educate people around us? And one of the things that we hear a lot on these workshops is I say to men, we're not talking about you. So I'm not accusing you. We're not here to say that. We're saying you're probably at the bottom of that pyramid. They go into a breakout room and they come back and um, or they have a discussion and say, actually, I'm not feeling too good about myself because I think I'm maybe two or three steps up. Perhaps I have colluded. Perhaps I have turned a blind eye. And is that the type of thing you're seeing with the, the, the professional players you've presented to? That's exactly what some of them said. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's um, a step forward, isn't it? It's that awareness, self-awareness, really, having yeah. been educated more, that's really important. That, that, that then, I suppose, the nugget to this is, you know, um, stepping in, making an impact, you know, spreading the word, rather than looking for a, an immediate response that's going to solve everything, it's going to be 
it's going to be a, a long process, unfortunately, isn't it? Yeah, because if if you're out and you're having a drink and your friends are behaving in a way which you feel is objectifying or distressing a woman, you know, do they all sort of stand around and giggle yeah. nervously and laugh? Or does somebody just, just go out and say, mate, enough that you know and it doesn't have to be a big deal but um we need enough of those people to say let's notice it but one of the big issues chris and it's something maybe we'll talk about more in depth on another podcast is um a lot of men don't notice it yeah and um you know when you talk to them and you say to them this is what's going on this i don't see that happening mm-hmm. and yet every woman who walks into a bar their antennae are up and they'll immediately say there's somebody along there who's concerning me there's somebody there standing too close but of course you wouldn't notice it because you're not looking out for it you've never had that situation so we can't expect men to notice it yeah and i think i think the the absolutely to reinforce what julian's saying is that uh, that blindness that snow blindness that that we as men often have um that is a big part of the problem um the the ultimately um not challenging um it kind of gives permission to those men who who are a danger to women and you know the 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 i think you know men are men use humor a lot in terms of um, subverting hierarchies that exist in our own brains uh, when, when we relate to each other. And, and humour is an absolutely brilliant way of, of men from lots of different backgrounds, lots of different personalities, getting on with each other. However, we're also highly competitive and that humour can, can escalate and escalate and escalate as we try and use shock as another form of humour. And, and that shock... Uh, can lead us across a lot of lines in terms of the way we talk about women and the way we behave around women. Um, and in doing so, we not only create an environment where women feel unsafe, which we've already talked about, but we also potentially subconsciously and sometimes consciously give permission to those men who mm-hmm. do have a problem with their relationships with women and struggle to relate you know um as equals and and as a result um you know, uh, behave in, in in appalling and often criminal manners so it's it's about not just self-reflection is really really important and that's a process that i've absolutely had to go through myself i've worked uh, for the police for four years and you know, worked on a lot of very very serious subjects and it does um make you question your own behavior in the past and you know the and we're all we're all products of this environment that that has has treated women very badly for very a very very long time but at the same time we also do have a responsibility um for be part of the solution absolutely and and to be part of the solution and that doesn't necessarily say humiliating your friends in the group uh you know making them feel bad to be honest that is often counterproductive it's about approaching having that conversation from a position of humility where you're saying basically listen you know i have been through this as well myself i've you know i've done things that i'm not proud of but we can do something about it and we we can draw a line say from now on we are going to behave in a better way and think just exactly what Gillian was saying about um, we can we can think about the impact that this has on women, the, the women we know and the women that we don't know. It's, it's funny because you, 
um, I'm still involved in coaching and obviously in and around the professional squads and the academy squads. And, and what there's a, a chain of thought that the current players or the, the kind of younger players now respond far more mm-hmm. um, from peer pressure, like peer-to-peer learning, peer-to-peer pressure in terms of behaviour or skills or even taking on information. There's a real want to impress your peers, whereas my generation, it was we do as we're told. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and somebody tells us and we... And we the respect was kind of hierarchical upwards, but now there's a real peer-to-peer pressure. And in that sense, one of the, the positives that um, has come out so far in terms of the links with uh, the professional teams is that we're, you've already you know, highlighted some uh, ambassadors from both Edinburgh and Glasgow who are going to be part of this. And maybe we'll talk to them in, in future podcasts as well. But, but that's a step in the right direction initially as well, isn't it? I think it's amazing. And, um, you know, for me, I think that in, in you know, Scottish rugby are leading the way, but in any sport, it's just a great thing to do because the, um, you know, the opportunity to get the message out, talk to people, do something about it is so real here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the ambassadors can can really help because sometimes people are confused about the way that they behave and they have no one to talk to um, or you know they might not be able to stop themselves behaving in a certain way I'm not suggesting you know in a very serious way but having somebody to just say I think this is me and I probably am realizing it's not the way to do things or the way to be um, so I think anything like that is helpful absolutely and I think I think the the um, again you'll it's reinforced by the media, it's reinforced by the books that we read, it's reinforced by the culture. Um, men, um, and I, I remember from you know, when I was in my teens and my twenties. You lot long ago, Adrian. I know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long time ago. <laughs> they, they, uh, the, the, you are trying to understand what it means to be a man. You're trying to learn the way to behave. And often, the, the examples that we have are not the best examples. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and there's, there's a lot of pressure on, on young men, a lot of pressure to achieve status in lots of different ways. And sometimes the models that we're working to are the wrong models. And mm-hmm. that's where that ambassadorial role, that, um, that you know, kind of mentorship that, that uh, particularly, um, uh, you know, um, sports people and people who are are, are you know um, serious about their sport can naturally fulfill that role of saying actually we don't need to behave in this way these are old models that don't work um, there's another way to do it and there's lots and lots of examples in recent history I would say that's probably come around from social media um, and the technological changes in society. Exactly what you're saying, Chris, about people looking far more to their peers rather than, you know, um, hierarchically from up above. Um, you know, Me Too is a really good example. Black Lives Matter is a really good example of people saying no enough. Um, the, there's a better way to behave. And there's a better way to, to approach this. Yeah, absolutely. Role modelling is absolutely crucial. Will, will you look to get involved in other, well, I know you will, but other sectors other you know, specific sports other specific sectors is that that would be yeah. important as well to to get this? yeah absolutely um to be honest we, we, we have been talking to an sbl football club um the who are very keen to be involved uh, however things haven't been going so well on the pitch for them so they're focusing on stabilizing <laughs> stabilizing um things uh, in terms of their their day job uh, uh before we take things forward um 
hopefully that'll I'll kick off next season. Um, and really, we're we're trying to do as much as possible to to get the message out. Um, the initial the initial um, campaign that launched about October last year has had a phenomenal response. Um, uh, we reckon between six and seven million people have watched the the sixty second film on um, online around the world, which is just an insane number. Um, the the I think what was really interesting with that was women's reaction, um, which was completely unexpected because it's targeting men. But I would say sixty to seventy percent of the the engagement that we had online was from women going, "This is what we've been talking about for you know all of our lives. Uh, this is this is what we want. We want men to start taking more of a leadership role in um, tackling." Um, um, you know, kind of uh, sexual violence and harassment of women. Um, you know, th th this is a really important subject, and and you're on the right lines. Um, so the we're just looking at a second kind of phase of the campaign at the moment, which, to be honest, is is going to be more focused. I think I think the the the, the initial campaign was really focused on, I would say, ninety percent on the problem, and ten percent on the solution. And we're we're now looking much more at the solution. And really talking to men um, as as directly as we can to say, listen, guys, you're in a brilliant position to really make a difference. Um, you know, the 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 power is all in your hands, and and we can we can start that societal change, which which potentially will take probably twenty or thirty years. But at the same time, you know, let's be realistic about that. But at the same time, it, societal change has to start somewhere, and it has to start with individual people making a choice to to stand for something that's brilliant it's good to know and we're just delighted to to support it and every way we can at scottish rugby i know we're, we're going to talk more uh in the the, the weeks and months ahead and, and maybe try and get the some of the ambassadors on and get you know they're 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 taking it as well there's so much to cover there's so much more to talk about but for uh for our introduction i think it's really enlightening and, and you know thanks for doing it thanks for working alongside scottish rugby and so we're just delighted to support them and every way we can. Pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Total pleasure and brilliant opportunity. Thank you once again for listening to the official Scottish Rugby podcast. Thank you to Adrian and Gillian from the, the Male Allies campaign. Some really important work, and it's great to hear uh, how that's been uh, addressed at Scottish Rugby as well. Thanks to Ollie Smith. Good luck to Ollie uh, and indeed Edmund Glasgow in Europe this weekend and everyone who's playing rugby. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Scottish Rugby podcast. And when the episodes are released, they come straight to you. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week.